The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, meet Mark Workman, president of the World Blind Union. Welcome to the holiday edition of ACB Reports for December 2022 and January 2023. Mark Workman is from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He became president of the World Blind Union in January 2022. He addressed the assembly of the annual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind on July 3, 2022, and was introduced by ACB First Vice President Deb Cook Lewis. Mark was appointed to the role of WBU CEO. In January of 2022, so this is a pretty new role for him. But he has extensive knowledge of the disability nonprofit sector, having held management positions in the areas of advocacy, public affairs, and program delivery with the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Additionally, Mark is an experienced public servant. Who served for over five years in various roles with the government of Alberta. Including as executive advisor to an assistant deputy minister in Service Alberta, Mark has a master's degree in political science from the University of Alberta with a bachelor's degree of honors from the same university. And as an accomplished public speaker, Mark regularly gives talks on diversity and inclusion to large audiences and guest lectures. On bioethics and disability policy at local universities,、um, Mark has actively volunteered in the Canadian disability movement for 15 years. And when you find out how young he is, that's just almost all of his life. Holding a variety of roles with organizations such as the Alliance of Equality for Blind Canadians, the Council of Canadians with Disabilities. Barrier-free Canada and Voice of Albertans with Disabilities. Mark resides in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where in 2020 he was named one of the city's top 40 under 40 for his many contributions to the community. So at this time, I would like to turn the meeting over to Mark Workman from the WBU. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it is morning, right? Because I left Athens, Greece, around 2 a.m. Omaha time yesterday, and arrived at the hotel around 2 a.m. Omaha time this morning.、Uh, so it's a little hard for me to even really know what time of day it is at this stage. So this is actually my first ACB convention. I'm familiar with the organization for sure, but have never actually had the chance to make it down from Canada. So I'm. Really grateful to Kim Charlson for the invitation. I'm excited to be here. I'm going to share a little bit about myself, a bit about who the World Blind Union is and what we do, and then I want to share what are some of my key priorities for the rest of 2022. And then I'm, I'm going to end by talking a bit about the important role that I think ACB can continue to play within the WBU. I thought I'd start this talk with a little bit about myself. So maybe a good place to start is my connection to blindness. 
The condition that led to me becoming blind is called retinitis pigmentosa. I suspect there are others in the room who have this condition. Uh, however, having met many people with the condition, I do think mine was a slightly more aggressive version of the condition. So I was diagnosed when I was in kindergarten, probably legally blind by about age 10, and then lost most of the rest of my sight by my late teens. And as my sight started to decline in my teenage years, so too did my grades in school, and eventually out of high school altogether. And I think a natural assumption to make would be that I didn't receive the supports I needed. And as a result of the lack of accommodations, I couldn't keep up with my sighted peers. This is really only partially true, though. It's true that I didn't use the tools and techniques that help blind people to be successful in school. Braille, large print, magnifiers, white canes, and those types of things. It's not so much that... They weren't provided to me though, but because I refused to use them. And again, I suspect this is a familiar story to some others in the room. I just couldn't stand the idea of being marked as different. Never mind the fact that I regularly stopped soccer balls with my face, walked into doors, wore super thick glasses, held the textbook just a few inches from my face, and sounded a little like a child who's learning to read when I was asked to read out loud in class. Of course I was different and everyone knew I was different, but I still insisted on doing everything I could to hide it. And in the end, I was sort of missing so much class and my grades were so poor that it just didn't make sense to stay in school. However, fortunately, the story didn't end there, as you might have guessed. I realized pretty quickly that a blind person with no skills and no education, just like a sighted person with no skills and no education, was going to have pretty poor job prospects. And I will pause here and just give a little credit to CNIB, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, because I met with a blind gentleman who worked there when I was out of school and looking for some type of work. And I wanted to see if he had any advice for me. And he told me that there are definitely lots of jobs that blind people can do, but there would be way more opportunities if I were to go back and complete my education. And I took him to heart and ended up spending the next 10 or so years finishing high school, completing a bachelor's degree, and then a master's, and even half of a PhD as well. I want to move on to talking about the World Blind Union, but just before I do that, I think there are just a couple of lessons that I think can be learned from my story that I want to pull out. One is the power of role models. When I met that gentleman from CNIB, it was a bit of a turning point for me. And I've had many blind and sighted role models throughout the rest of my life. They can be so crucial for your growth. A second lesson is around the power of education. And we were just hearing from some scholarship winners. We'll never know for sure how my life would have gone if I hadn't gone back to school, but I'm very confident that I wouldn't be here today without my education. The third lesson, I think, is that the shame that we sometimes feel about our blindness can be an incredibly self-destructive force. So I think back to the pain that I went through as a kid, you know, the headaches from struggling to read print that was too small the inner dread that someone might realize that my eyes didn't work like everyone else's. I think about that and I want to do whatever I can 
to try to prevent another child or adult for that matter from experiencing those feelings. And I want to read the first sentence of the WBU's long-term vision as outlined in our latest strategic plan, because it's relevant to what I'm talking about here. We dream of a future where the children of today will one day say, I'm blind. It's no big deal. And I think given my own personal experience, you could probably see why this is a vision that I can really get behind. And I hope it resonates with you as well. So what is the World Blind Union and how do we hope to achieve this long-term vision? In its current form, the organization has been around since 1984, so coming up on 40 years. And I say in its current form because the WBU was actually created when two separate organizations came together. So the World Council for the Welfare of the Blind was created in 1951, and it consisted primarily of service providers, so organizations for the blind. And then there was also another one called the International Federation of the Blind, and that was founded in 1964 and consisted mostly of advocacy organizations or organizations of the blind. And in the history that I read that was written on this topic, it says that the two organizations actually got along fairly well, which might be a little surprising. But there was a lot of duplication of resources. Some organizations were members of both. And in some cases, they would put forward positions on issues that weren't totally aligned. And that, as we know, can cause things to not progress as quickly as we might like. So in 1984, in October, in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, both organizations ended up adopting resolutions that dissolved each organization and formed the World Blind Union. So the WBU is an organization that's made up of other organizations. So the American Council of the Blind, for example, is a member. So too is CNIB in Canada, where I worked and ONCE in Spain, Vision Australia, and I can't list them all because there are hundreds of organizations that are members of WBU. Our organization, WBU, is divided up into six regions. Each region has their own governing body. So for example, ACB is part of the North American Caribbean region, and Kim Charlson is the current regional president. Every four years, the World Blind Union holds what we call a general assembly. At this general assembly, we bring together delegates, countries all over the world. They come together in a specific location for our general assembly. And at each of these general assemblies, we pass resolutions similar to what you would do at convention, and we elect table officers. We elect five table officers. So that would be your kind of standard executive, your president, first vice president, second vice president, we call our secretary the secretary general, kind of a nod to the United Nations, and treasurer. Those five are the elected positions. And our president is restricted to only serving one four-year term. But what we do allow is that he or she can also serve one additional term as the past president. So these six table officers, when you include the past president, plus the six presidents of the regions, they form what we call the WBU officers, basically the, the governing body for our organization. And honestly, if I were to actually try to explain our structure in all its glorious detail, it would likely require some tactile graphs, a 30-minute presentation, and a whole lot of coffee. 
The structure that we use, I admit, can be a, a tad bit complicated, which I'm told is the result of uh, basically too many blind lawyers in the kitchen. On a side note, I will say we are initiating a governance review this year that I do hope will result in simplifying things a little bit. So let's move now on to what exactly the WBU does. The way I describe it to people is there are really two big buckets of work that we do, and that's advocacy and capacity building. So the WBU advocates at the international level on issues facing blind people. Sometimes this advocacy will take place within UN or United Nations organizations, like, for example, the World Health Organization or UN Habitat. And in other instances, the advocacy is done at international conferences or events like the World Urban Forum, the International Transport Forum, or the World Congress on United Cities and Local Government. So these are just examples of big kind of global gatherings of practitioners in different areas, transportation, urban development, cities and local governments. And we attend these events and do advocacy at them. Within the capacity building, you'd have things like training workshops, where the goal of the capacity building is to support and empower our member organizations to be more effective in their local community. So for example, we might do a training session on the Marrakesh Treaty, where we would talk about what the Marrakesh Treaty is, how it can be beneficial, and how a member could advocate within their local country for the ratification and implementation of this treaty. And just in case anyone hasn't heard of this, it's an international agreement that facilitates the cross-border sharing of accessible materials. So if a country anywhere in the world ratifies the treaty, they can gain access to really large libraries of accessible formats because of other countries that have joined and made their content available. We've also done training on the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. This is a really key document around the disabled community internationally. So for example, just a few weeks ago, we held a webinar on CRPD, that's Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, on CRPD alternative reports. And I don't want to digress too much, but I will just say that these alternative reports are documents that civil society organizations like ACD can submit to the United Nations and make their own comments on their country's progress on implementing the CRPD. So they can be a very effective tool for advocacy if used properly. But of course, not every member of the WBU would be aware of alternative reports and how to use them. So that's where we can play a role to support them. Now, I can't give an exhaustive account of the different areas of work, and I suspect the laundry list wouldn't be all that interesting anyway, but there is one area I want to dive into a little bit further. And that's an area that WBU has been heavily involved in for at least the last couple of years. We noticed a couple of years ago that not a lot of disability organizations were engaged in the area of urban development at the international level. Lots, I'm sure, are doing it in their own countries. ACB probably um, has been involved in urban development and accessibility issues within cities, but we weren't seeing a lot at the international level. And so in response, we formed the Global Program on Inclusive and Accessible Urban Development, sort of one of the key programs that we have within WBU. 
And through this program, we've been very active at the international level, advocating to design cities that are more inclusive and accessible. A couple of recent examples to illustrate this. A few team members, including myself, were in Poland last week, where we led a delegation of people with disabilities to participate in the 11th session of the World Urban Forum. And this is sort of the global premier conference on urban development. And so I was able to speak on a panel with a Polish minister who happens to be blind as well, a high-level official with the World Health Organization, and a number of other high-level dignitaries. Another example would be that back in April, one of our WBU staff, who happens to be partially sighted, had the rare opportunity to address the United Nations General Assembly in New York, including around 700 mayors from around the world who were visiting New York at the time. If you're anything like me, you might hear that stuff and you might think, oh, okay, like that's all good. Nothing wrong with those types of things. But how does that actually help people in their local communities? And I think that's a totally fair question. And I admit it's not always obvious or straightforward. We call this the challenge of localizing international frameworks. You can have great stuff happening at the international level, but how do you localize? How do you make it have an impact on the ground in the different municipalities? And the way I think about this is there always needs to be a two-pronged approach. So when the World Blind Union is speaking at things like the World Urban Forum or the United Nations General Assembly, we do get the opportunity to speak to hundreds or even thousands of individuals, decision makers, influential people, who then go back to their communities and hopefully have learned some new things about accessible design, universal design, and the importance of working with disability organizations, which is a point that we always stress, the importance of engaging disability organizations whenever you're making decisions. There's lots of value to us having those conversations and doing those presentations, but at the same time, the second prong has to be to work with our members so that they understand the messages that are being communicated internationally, like what are we going out there and talking about, and are able to then follow up and support those messages in their local communities. And I think once that approach is working well, you can really see a lot of positive change on the ground. And so this challenge of localizing what's happening at the international level is one that I'm very sensitive to it as someone who only recently came to the international arena and mostly did my advocacy within my municipality, within my province, um, state for ACB members, or within my country. And so it's one of my key areas of focus. And as I come to uh, the end of this talk, I thought I'd just share a couple of other areas that I plan to focus on. As mentioned, I've only been in this role for about six months now, but I've noticed a couple of areas that I want to focus on for the rest of the year. The communications is definitely the area that I noticed early on has lots of room for improvement. I think we could do a better job in at least three different ways when it comes to communication. First is probably the most obvious, and that's communicating outwards. I bet you there's a lot of people in this room who have never heard of World Line Union. Um, I have no idea what we do. And so we can make a better job of communicating out to both our 
recommendations, what are we doing? How can you get involved? But also out to non-members, to other disability organizations and the general public as well. A second area for communications that I think we can do better is at hearing from our members. So we wanna create more opportunities where our members can tell us what their issues are and how we can support them. And then the third way is that I think WBU has a responsibility actually to facilitate communication among members. In my experience, members want to help one another and they wanna learn from one another. And WBU can play a key role in making this happen. And so communications is one area that's going to be a priority for me that I hope to make some real positive change in the next six months. A related but separate area would be member engagement. So if we're communicating effectively with members, they're going to be more engaged for sure. But beyond that, I'm hoping to develop a member engagement strategy. We currently have hundreds of member organizations that are affiliated with WBU. We need to have a better handle on who our members are and how active they are or want to be. So we need a plan to attract member organizations to join WBU, and we need a plan to reactivate members who have become less active or inactive. And I think to do all of this, we need to be able to make a strong case for membership in the WBU. And so that's another priority. And then here's the last one. I'll finish by talking about Ukraine. And I wish that I didn't have to talk about Ukraine. It's such a terrible situation. And it's been one that has occupied a lot of my time since I joined WBU. We didn't react immediately. Um, partly it was the effect of me being new. A lot of organizations were putting out statements condemning the invasion. And I saw absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think that's important to do. But I didn't just want to put out a statement if I couldn't announce anything a little more concrete. And so following a series of conversations with various individuals who are associated with WBU, we ended up establishing what we called the Ukrainian Unity Fund. And the fund was set up to create a mechanism for individuals and organizations to channel their support to help blind and partially sighted Ukrainians and I'm pleased to announce that thanks to the generosity of hundreds of individuals and many organizations, including the American Council of the Blind, the fund has generated well over $100,000 US. And I've been working closely with our regional member in Europe, so that's the European Union of the Blind, to assist blind and partially sighted Ukrainians. And at the WBU, we've identified a handful of organizations that are in and around Ukraine and that are providing support. And so we're just in the process of establishing some slightly more formal partnerships. There are legal rules around, because we're a registered charity in Canada, there are some legal hoops that we kind of have to jump through. But we're close to having those partnerships established so that the funds that were so generously donated can be used responsibly as they were intended. And so this will be another area of work that I think will occupy a lot of my time and will be a key priority for me over the next six months or so. So I just end by sharing a few thoughts on the role that ACB has played and can continue to play in the world. Because in my view, ACB 
organization that has a lot of knowledge that can be shared with the rest of the world. So as we start in the coming months to develop opportunities where members can exchange with one another, I sincerely hope that ACB, and I'm confident they will be, will be there to participate in conversations and share your knowledge and successes with others who can then benefit from that knowledge sharing. So Mark, in terms of the the most significant either challenge or opportunity facing the WBU, what, what do you think that really is? It's a good question. I think definitely around communications, there's a lot of opportunities there. One of the sort of really fundamental roles that an organization like ours can play is to help ensure that when something goes well in one part of the world, some some type of success or initiative that's making a positive difference, that that is known elsewhere in the world. And so that's, I think, a really important opportunity. I would also say that uh, capacity building is an area where we have the ability to make a positive difference. There are a lot of organizations around the world that don't have the resources. And we're not in a position ourselves, admittedly, to provide a lot of financial resources, but those aren't the only resources that matter, right? Knowledge, um, toolkits, those types of resources can really make a big difference. And so that's an area where I think we'll put a lot of effort into making sure that we're sharing that knowledge, that information, those successes with other organizations. And one other question that I wanted to ask you about, what do you see is the landscape of and the status of audio description around the world? It's stronger in certain locations, for sure. And you're going to hear a little Mm -hmm. bit about this later on in the convention. Um, We see a lot of strength when it comes to audio description for the more developed countries, um, a little less so for developing countries. So this is another area where we can support organizations to advocate uh, because it makes such a big difference for people to have access to those types of cultural products within their local community, not to mention education as well, being uh, an important area for audio description. And so this is um, another area where, again, ACB can play a kind of a leading role, not just in America, but actually globally by spreading information and, and supporting organizations to do advocacy work within their local countries. That was Mark Workman, president of the World Blind Union. Due to technical difficulties in the facility of your humble producer, this program will serve as the December 2022 and January 2023 release of ACB Reports. We'll look at the annual ACB Leadership Conference and more when ACB Reports returns in February of 2023. I'm Mike Duke. May the holidays you celebrate during this season be healthy, happy, and safe. You've been listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. ACB Reports is heard each month on audio information services across the United States and worldwide on the ACB Media Network, acbmedia.org. The show is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. 
Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another edition of ACB Reports.